It's Monday, August 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Happy August, gentlemen. That is right. It's August. Oh, yes. I saw something on Twitter earlier today. August, I guess, is historically like a really poorly performing month. I I don't think it's so much that it's a poorly performing month, although over the very long term it is, but certainly over the last seven years, it has been up or down more than 3% six of those seven years, and the other year it was. But yeah, historically, August not a great month, but can we all agree just to calm down? Everybody's coming back from May. <laughs> sure. Can we, can we? Can we just? Can we all just? Whatever happens this month, whether it's up three and a half percent, down three and a half percent, let's just all, let's just all calm down. Sure. I mean, I feel like hey, maybe there's maybe there's like uh, maybe we need to a call a call uh, a call to action uh, for our listeners. Like hey, what do you think about August? Is it sell in August and go? And come back in yeah. September. I don't know. I mean, or is it just hey, participate in August and reap the benefits? Mm. Is it is it possible that there's that kind of swing just because more people, at least in theory, are on vacation? Certainly, this is the month over in Europe when people are like, "I'm out." Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and, and plenty of people here too yeah. in the states. Are like, yeah. I, yeah, I would figure They're in I mean, Europe on vacation. Sure. I mean the the the. Day-to-day activity, I'm sure, is, is far lower than at other times during the year. Um, but you know, I mean, the, the the foolish investor might look at that and say, "Hey, well, therein lies our opportunity." It's entirely possible. We're going to get to actual news stories, nah. but but, for, <laughs> but, for, sure? but first, this let's let's just call out the obvious, which uh, uh, I know a bunch of our listeners are happy about, which is that. Taylor's microphone is working today. We hope. <laughs> hey, can we actually up? Easy just shrugged his shoulders there. I think we have to wait and come. We'll uh, see. As far as Dan Boyd is concerned, <laughs> it's a roll of the dice. Um, all right, let's. Uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're, we are going to talk Tesla and Solar City because there is news on that front. Let's start with a story that we were going to talk about on Motley Fool Money last week, and then had to cut it for time, which is one of those things that every once in a great while happens on Motley Fool Money. Uh, CBS, second quarter profits came in higher than expected. They're also returning a lot of money to shareholders, Jason. And on the surface, this seems like a good thing, and yet shares down about 3-4% over the last couple of days. Yeah, I think... I mean, this has been a very sort of lumpy performer, I think, in in over the past couple of years at least. I think the the further you stretch your timeline out, it becomes a little bit more dependable. But it's an interesting uh, story, just because I think this is a great example of how these big media properties are actually using this over the top distribution that we we talk about so much as disrupting the industry. They're using this over the top distribution uh, to effectively. Essentially, bring their production costs down and and get their content out more places. And I think if we if we look at one example there, I mean, there's this new Star Trek TV series uh, that CBS is going to be coming out with. We know that Star Trek is obviously a very popular franchise, uh, number of spinoffs, movies, whatnot. So CBS is going to develop the series. They're going to make those. Uh, they're going to make those shows available to Netflix in in 188 countries where Netflix is available uh, globally within 24 hours of the premiere on CBS. And so that's that's a good example of how CBS is taking sort of their their status in the industry, licensing that content beyond just its one channel to essentially many channels. And uh, and they're participating at least in in this sort of changing market, 
And they, I think, are remaining relevant thanks to deals like that. I think that also one of their big strengths that they continue to exploit is in a live programming realm, particularly sports. But talk about award shows and things like that. I mean, those are things that really uh, that that's where that's that's where properties like CBS, NBC, and whatnot shine. And I don't know that that necessarily is going to change. What's going to be very interesting to see here is in the near future we've we've talked about Hulu before, and it looks like Hulu is going to move forward with trying to put together this sort of over the top uh, cable package, essentially live TV package, where it would be something much smaller than you might get signing up with Verizon Fios or Comcast or whatever, but it's going to be the channels that you really care to watch. And it sounds like CBS is wanting to make sure they're a part of that, because if it's cost-effective, it seems like it really would make a lot of sense. I mean, I certainly would look at it and consider it, because I think it scratches the itch for just about everybody in regard to live programming, sports, channels where you might be able to get the latest and greatest content, like FX or something, for example. So I think there's a lot, a lot to be encouraged there with CBS, and then, and then we know they're spinning off the radio division here mm-hmm. at some point. And I know you could kind of look at that one of two ways. I mean, radio has has really changed a lot here, uh, very quickly, thanks primarily to satellite radio first, but but also streaming and whatnot. It remains to be seen exactly what they'll be able to do with this property. My guess is though that the market is going to look at that spinoff. As a way for them to sort of whittle down their their cost structure and focus more on what really represents the future for them in video and in figuring out the different ways to disseminate that content. Yeah, they had tried, and they were very upfront about this. But they they tried to sell the radio division. They didn't really find another buyer, and that's how they ended up with with the spinoff. Um, also uh, worth noting, and this is a small chunk of the overall revenue, but the late night division uh, with Stephen Colbert, they now they own that show, whereas David Letterman previously owned the late show. So from a profitability standpoint, even though Colbert's ratings aren't necessarily not going to cover off the ball, if you're a CBS shareholder, you got to like the profitability of late night much more so than when David Letterman was running. I didn't know that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So what did they do? Just collect a fee from it, or they paid him to let them? They paid him, and and he he had he owned all the content. So um, they're able to do a lot more in terms of distribution on YouTube, etc., than than they were able to previously, and of course make money off of that as well. So well, and that's the interesting part you just mentioned there—the distribution on YouTube. Because while those late night programs themselves still. Have a little bit of a hurdle just in, by, by the nature of the time that the show right. comes on. I mean, the way that they're able to distribute that content beyond just linear television, and not only does that open their audience up, but it gives them way better metrics and it can make it a more compelling offering so that partners, advertisers, what I can at least have an idea of what's working and what's not working. But I mean, you look at CBS proper, I mean, it's, it's Les Moonves knows what he's doing, he's obviously very experienced in this industry. Uh, they boosted the dividend. I think it was twenty percent. They're going to yep. buy back another one billion dollars in shares here the second half of this year, along with spinning off that radio division, which should happen sometime within the next year. Um, again, I think the market will probably receive that relatively nicely. And, and I'm not necessarily convinced that radio is on the way out. Um, I, th- I think so. I, I look at it kind of the way Buffett looks at newspapers. I mean, he he looks at newspapers and focuses on sort of the the power they they possess locally. And I think that radio very very much 
sees that same dynamic. I mean, they make their money via advertising, but really, when I was looking through CBS Radio's S1, the filing for them to go public, they make 75% of their money from local advertising. So, when we listen to the sports junkies here, for example, uh, I mean, they are a fixture here. They're selling, celebrating their 20th anniversary. They've been around for a while. So, they have a very, very strong fan base, loyal fan base. They kind of know what their fan base wants because they focus primarily on sports. And so, I think that locally, there are pockets where there are big opportunities for radio to continue to shine. And we talk a lot about SiriusXM and how successful that's been. I mean, I'm a SiriusXM subscriber, but I can also tell you that if Howard Stern wasn't on SiriusXM, I probably would not be a subscriber. So, really, it's all for me just about kind of one channel. Um, and I know that he has been, I think, a reason for a lot of their success. I think that same dynamic exists in radio locally around the country. And I think that's where CBS radio still really. Uh, has a big advantage and can continue to exploit that for for some time to come. And if it's not them, then it's going to be via some streaming channel, whether it's Spotify or Pandora or something maybe that they even put out on their own. Or maybe you have Alexa and you can just ask it to play whatever radio station you want around the country. Well, you can already do that. Yeah, exactly. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's it, like iHeartRadio, things like that. Again, they're just figuring out new ways to get that content out there. It's not really the content that's facing the problem, it's just sort of the distribution model. Uh, but they're coming up with new ways to get that stuff out there, which is encouraging. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address from Eddie Vrona in Long Beach, New York. Eddie writes, Chevron missed again on earnings. They have been losing a lot of money. The CEO has promised to keep the dividend stable, but this is looking like a ConocoPhillips story. Will Chevron cut its dividend? Taylor, we were talking before we started taping, ConocoPhillips cut its dividend earlier this year. Mm-hmm. By more than I think a lot of people were expecting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the, but the CEO wasn't out there saying that we're not going to cut it. So I don't, um, I don't think this is going to be a ConocoPhillips situation. Yes, when you look at Chevron and its balance sheet and the cash flow projections for for 2016, the dividend is going to need some debt to cover it for at least this year. But when you look at what this company's been doing over the last few years, they've been dumping a lot of money into big capital projects, um, LNG projects off of Australia and Angola. And those are finally starting to come to the point where the company's going to start bringing them online over the next year or two years. So, by 2018, pretty much every major undertaking that they've been spending a ton of money on, um, in in most cases, they've been spending more than they planned on, much more than they planned on, um, those will be operating rather than being built out. So, you're seeing this company reduce capital expenditures from 40 billion in 2014 to in the low 20s by next year. So, saving 20 billion dollars on capital expenditures is going to help them right size that balance sheet. So, I think that while you're worried now by 2017, this company isn't going to need to fund their dividend through debt. So, you just get through the rest of this year, which I'm confident that they will. Um, even some people are talking about there might be a superficial increase of the dividend just so they can maintain their dividend aristocrat status, which basically raising your dividend every year for a certain amount of period. Um, and, and so maybe you'll see like a penny increase rather than any, any decrease from this company because I think they're in a point where they can just make it through the next six months once they start generating cash flow from these big projects. They're, they're going to be fine. Were you surprised that both Chevron and ExxonMobil missed on their earnings last week? Well, uh, Exxon missed much more so than Chevron right. did, um, and I, th- I think that was jarring for, yeah. for some people that Exxon, as big as it is, as stable as it is, yep. missed by the margin that it did. Well, and in a quarter where you saw oil prices increase somewhat, granted you have seen them pull back in the last couple of weeks, but 
yeah, that, that was a shock because the comps weren't exactly that tough to compare to. Um, so earnings estimates shouldn't have been burdensome for these kind of companies. Independent members of both boards of directors have shockingly, no, not shockingly, <laughs> have approved Tesla Motors' all stock deal for Solar City. This is at a price tag of $25.37 per share of Solar City, which is why Solar City is down about 6% today because it was trading above that. Are there independent shareholder or board members of these two companies? It feels like there's a lot of overlap. There's some very interesting numbers behind yeah. all of this. <laughs> um, I mean, if you exclude Elon Musk from this from this equation here, seventy-two percent. Yeah, yeah, well, they, well, I'm not did, saying they did. didn't, but I'm just saying that seventy-two percent of the top fifty Tesla shareholders also owned Solar City. Yeah. So basically, one of those. three quarters, <laughs> and collectively, they owned. 55% of Tesla and 51% of Solar City. So, I mean, this deal was going to happen. I think what's really kind of I mean, it's kind of a kick in the stones, man. It was it, it's less than the 2650 to 2850 they were initially projecting. Yeah. Right? Yes. I don't know. I got some thoughts about this. They're probably <laughs> you, you look myself. like you have some thoughts about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is when we I think when we first talked about this, one of the points you made was this this sort of adds time to the thesis that investors may have if they are looking at Tesla Motors as an energy company. If you are looking at it that way, this doesn't shorten that time horizon. No. This lengthens no. it. And, and I mean, this comes from the perspective I do not own shares in either. I never have. Um, I mean, I, th I think Tesla has always been a fascinating uh, idea. And, and to be very clear, I, I am 100% pro Elon Musk and what he's trying to do. I mean, I think we need more. Big thinkers like that in the world. Um, I, I just I want to I want to make sure investors are careful not to sort of project what he wants to do. It, it, that doesn't necessarily translate to immediate success for investors. Mm -hmm. And again, you look at Tesla and you think, all right, is it a car company? Is it a battery company? Is it an energy company? Whatever it is, as you go out that way, your your timeline needs to progressively just get a little bit longer. And, and while Tesla, I think, was a fairly Easy to understand business in what they do. They make cars, and sort of all of the the nuance that goes in that. Even though they were doing something a little bit different, Solar City is is, is a black box. I mean, it's, just, it's a very very difficult business to fully understand and to be able to connect all of the dots. And so this merger, while it is in line, I understand with sort of his long term vision. Let's also remember that when he just mentioned sort of this. Phase two. Well, phase one took about ten years by his own admission, and so this phase two, I think it's it's reasonable to say, well, maybe this is going to take another ten years, and that's all fine and dandy. But this this combination here, this acquisition, is going to make this business much more difficult to fully comprehend and understand. And it's a business that is going to require a lot. I mean, a lot of capital in the coming years. And I'm not saying they can't get that, but you have to understand that they will need it, whether it's through issuing shares, issuing debt, figuring out some other way. I mean, they're going to be beholden to capital markets here for some time to come. If something happens, I mean, it, it, the Great Recession obviously took everybody down with it, and I mean, it's, it, it, this this certainly would not be immune to, to uh, tough economic times, no question there. And again, I mean, this is a very much of a jockey bet. So if something were to happen to Elon Musk. How would you feel about that? So I just I want investors to make sure they sort of look at all of those kinds of things and think about that. And if you own Tesla shares already, 
and you own solar sh- solar solar city shares that almost came out wrong careful <laughs> um, solar city shares try saying that five times fast not, uh, on, not on air though yeah understand that those solar city shares are going to be rolled over into tesla shares so you're going to have even more exposure than perhaps you might like so just sort of take all of that into consideration um, that said, yeah, like you said, this is not a surprise. We knew it was going to happen. Um, I think it's just a shame for uh, some of those Solar City shareholders who've who've been holding on for, from a higher cost basis. Yeah, and I think that's probably why this deal maybe happened even sooner than Elon Musk wanted it to happen because the shares have sold off significantly this year, especially um, by half. Yeah, I believe so. Maybe it was just something that Elon Musk viewed as I might never see this price again. So here's here's the time. It might be a little too early, but. It's yeah. on my ten-year plan. Maybe probably, this was only supposed to take place in year three of this second phase, but it's taking place in year one. Yeah. By the way, has anyone checked on Solar City fan Simon Erickson? <laughs> he sits right by me. Have I've, you seen uh, him today? I just I, I've, I, he, while we were talking on he's Slack, he's chewing earlier, on some gum real hard right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the bottom line is he's, he's always been very. Uh, he wanted upfront. to see them go like this, this deal, we, they're they're getting Solar City for a song. And I mean that may be the case. I just I just don't. Uh, it, it's really hard to to fully understand the value in Solar City because it's something that requires so just a lot of moving parts. All right, before we wrap up, our listeners, we have the best listeners. <laughs> I know I sound like Donald Trump. We have the best listeners, but we do all the listeners. We have all the listeners. We have the best listeners. Oh, isn't it? They're they're going to win so big. <laughs> um, win so big and. The, I, I say that for different reasons at different times. The reason I'm saying it today is because in the wake of last Monday's episode, where we had the technical snafu <laughs> and Taylor's right, the, the number of comments that we got on Facebook and Twitter and through email where people were like, no, really, I want to hear about Taylor's wedding. <laughs> what happened to Taylor's wedding? Yes. So let's just revisit that quickly before we wrap up. As we as we said last week, there was no knife fight. There was no knife fight. But it was a great time. You're in Portugal. The best time. The best time. <laughs> yeah, the best time. And, with and the best it was friends. a it was a late night into the morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think maybe 20, 30 of us saw the sunrise. The DJ was only supposed to play for four hours. He's like, I'm not leaving until you tell me to leave. So we nice. stayed. That's a, that's Shut a, him down at 6:45. Nice. Yeah. And uh, there was more than one meal. That's what helped keep us going. Yeah, second dinner at around two thirty three in the morning. Uh, sandwiches, sausage, soup, the works. Wow. Finger food. Would you Would you do for dessert? What was the Did you do the traditional cake? Um. So, we didn't even actually cut the cake until like three when we totally forgot about it. Uh, so we just had like little. Man, there were some bitter people. Who were like, I, I'm <laughs> well, only no, here. So- I want some cake. So we decided to have a. a, a Display cake, and then instead we passed cake bites on the dance floor. So we didn't have like a big formal, like, here, come get your slice and then go sit down. We wanted people to keep the energy going. So we just passed cake bites around the dance floor nice. after dinner. Yeah. So, well, so now people here's the got thing, the cake. Though, like, they just I mean, didn't see us cut it. When you got married, I mean, I don't know how it worked when you got married, but. I know my wife, and, and and she was she was looking forward to this. She took that cake and smashed it right in my face. I mean, like I, I think that's like a tradition or something. But we, we did not do that. But uh, but we you know we we cut the cake. I got the yeah I have that picture, man. It's like in our house on the wall. You can't miss it. So there was no cake in well, anyone's we, face. We cut the cake, but it was so it was a you know a tiered cake, but. Um, there was only one small section of it that was actually cake. Uh, so you cut out like a slice, but everything else was just decorative to look like a cake. And then 
everyone else ate the cake bites prior. Nice. So we we didn't even cut it. Like one of our friends was like, "You guys haven't cut the cake yet," and obviously this was late. And we're like, "Okay." So we just sliced it. <laughs> she put some cake in my face, and then we got right back oh, out on the dance good. floor. Nice. We're not even sure if anybody got pictures of it. And was there? So t- uh, a lot of times you'll have the wedding, you'll have the reception, and then the next day there will be some sort of like brunch, yeah. some sort of gathering. You're staying up till the sun rises. I'm guessing, was there like, hey, let's all meet for, for drinks you know, in <laughs> so, about 12 hours? So, um, Jeanette and I, my, my wife now, um, we were at brunch. We got like an hour of sleep. We felt like we needed to be there to see people <laughs> off. Wow. Um, so, there were people like the, the 20 to 30 people that were up till sunrise, they weren't at breakfast, no. Yeah. But we were there seeing people off, and then we had a cookout at our parents' house for anybody that wanted to come that evening. So, Man, was this wedding sponsored by Red Bull or something? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. A lot of sleep at the honeymoon. Very nice. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>